daylight savings crowd today. Um, hopefully everyone got their clocks changed and hopefully no one will walk in as we're all walking out. Um, uh, but it is great to see you this morning and, and to have you along with. As far as uh, things going on this week, uh, the, the usual events on Monday, we will have our Bible study, and that is at 11 o'clock here in the sanctuary. On Wednesday, uh, all of our Wednesday events on Wednesday morning, we'll do our prayer meeting and uh, Bible study. That's virtual. If you want to be a part of that, just let me know, and I can, uh, I can get your email address and get the invites out for that. And then youth on Wednesday evening, and that will be in the sanctuary as well. So all of those events are going on this week. Also then, a couple of uh, special things. We have uh, Becky's Bunny here, uh, full of candy. And uh, the picture's been on Facebook, and you can uh, give us your guesses through that. Or if you want to show up in a couple of weeks, uh, we'll give away that uh, candy there. So get your guesses in. And, and like I said, you still have a couple of weeks to do that and, and uh, uh, to eye that up a little bit before you make your guesses. And also, next week, uh, we will be taking uh, the Lord's Supper. So uh, I mentioned that uh, for those who will be here, that you can prepare your hearts, uh, get yourself ready for the Lord's Supper. Uh, for those who will be joining us on Facebook, um, the, it'll look a little different. Uh, we won't do uh, the Lord's Supper on Facebook. We'll, we'll stop it before then, so our service will end a little different. Uh, next week um, as far as the ending of it um, and the reasons for that are 100% theological and, and if you have questions about that uh, feel free to contact me and, and uh, I'll just walk you through why we're not going to do uh, the, the communion uh, on Facebook uh, if you uh, can't be here uh, for the Lord's Supper next week um, don't worry about that uh, your salvation does not depend taking the Lord's Supper. So if you feel uncomfortable or if you don't feel well and you can't be here, uh, there, there's actually a good lesson in all of that. Even Jesus, uh, after he had given the Lord's Supper to his disciples, said, I'm not going to do this again until we I drink it with you in heaven. And so if you can't be here, uh, there's a great lesson in that. Even Christ himself is waiting to take it until we join him uh, in heaven. It's just um, that longing uh, of, of not being able to live the fullness uh, right now. Uh, there, it is coming. Uh, but if you uh, are able to make it here and, and want to join us for that next week, uh, we will be doing it and just prepare your hearts for that. Uh, so those are some of the things coming up for uh, this next week. Uh, as always, if there are any last-minute changes, which uh, tend to happen uh, once in a while, uh, we'll get that posted on our website and on Facebook as soon as we can. So uh, so those are the things coming up. And with that, then, let me turn to uh, Psalm. Uh, it's a song of praise from David in Psalm 145, where uh, the king writes, I will extol you, my God and king, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are great, and greatly to be praised. And as we gather in this way, we 
do gather to praise you. And we ask that you bless this time of worship and praise and that you will strengthen us in your truth at this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. And then uh, what we will do is go to the Father in prayer, and I will give you a few moments in your personal prayer to go to the Father with your confession and repentance uh, for those who are on your prayer list uh, this morning and, and concerns that you have to take those to the Father. And so I'll give you some time uh, to pray uh, silently, and then I will do the pastoral prayer. But uh, let's go to the Father in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, to carry on the words of, of King David in Psalm 145, he writes, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. And all your saints shall bless you. That is the cry of our heart, Heavenly Father. We give you thanks. We bless you. We do thank you for your goodness and your mercy. That you are slow to anger. And that you abound in steadfast love. Heavenly Father, we know our sin. And that we have sinned against you things that we have thought, things that we have done, things that we have said that we knew were wrong, even as we were doing them. Heavenly Father, forgive us our sins. Forgive our unknown sins. Those times where we've been selfish and, and are too blind to even see that. Those times where we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, have not loved you with our whole heart. We know we are sinners, but we know we have a wonderful God who forgives. And so we do ask for that forgiveness by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you for shining your lights in our hearts that we may know of your forgiveness. We thank you that you have called us as your children because of our faith in Christ. And we can be sons and daughters of you. And we can know that there is a kingdom that awaits. You will bring your people to you in glory. And we thank you for that. And Heavenly Father, we 
do uh, pray for so many of the needs in this world. We, we lift up our leaders to you and ask for your mercy and grace on them and that you will give them a spirit of wisdom that they may lead righteously and that we may live in peace. Heavenly Father, we pray for all of those being affected by uh, the winter storm that is striking uh, many uh, in this nation. We ask for their protection and their safety. We ask that you will get them through this and that you will be glorified in all of it. We pray for those who are ill, for those with cancer, for those suffering uh, seizures, from those recovering from surgeries. We lift them up to you and ask for your healing upon them. We pray for all of those around uh, those uh, who are ill, taking care of them, that, that you will uh, encourage them and give them a sense of what needs to be done, that they may, uh, that they may do your will and, and care for others effectively. We do pray uh, in the midst of this pandemic that it will come to an end. As always, we give you thanks that there is a vaccine and that numbers uh, seem to be going the right direction now. And we just pray that we'll continue to do the right thing and be patient and, and be wise in this time and that this will come to an end. We thank you that the vaccine is available and, and we pray that it will continue to get out to those who want it and those who need it and that this will all come to an end, that we can get back uh, to a normal sense of life. And gracious Heavenly Father, we do pray for those who are lost in their sin. We pray for those who don't even think of godly things, just passing through this life with no deep thoughts of you and who you are. And they will continue to walk that way unless your light shines in them. And that is what we pray for. For those whom we know and love, we pray that you will spark a sense of your wonder and your and your forgiveness in them, that they may come to the truth and know who you are, that they may be snatched from the fire and brought into your kingdom. Help us as your people speak your truth in love and speak your truth in boldness, that we may be lights in this world, salts uh, in this world, that we may do your will Help us to that end, knowing and doing your will, that we may know you better, Heavenly Father. We do pray for your church, that you will keep us pure, keep us on the path of your truthfulness, keep us firmly faithful to you, to your word, and to your will. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And then I will have you turn to John uh, chapter 1, or I'm sorry, John chapter 7. Uh, that's a misprint in, in the 
bulletin there. Um, and once again, that's a reminder that I'm doing the bulletins these days. Um, but for those of you that have a bulletin, just forget what it says there. I have no idea why I typed uh, that. Uh, what I will have you do is turn to John chapter 7, uh, and it is verses 1 through 36. It was daylight savings time. I'm really tired, okay? Um, and, and actually, I changed that this morning. That's funny. Uh, I have no idea what I was thinking. Um, John chapter 7, verses 1 through 36, and uh, let me set up where we're at. Jesus is up in Galilee, and if you have a map in your head or, or maybe in your Bible, Galilee is to the north. Uh, and then going south, there's Samaria, and then Judea. Uh, Galilee is kind of Jesus' stomping grounds, if you will. Uh, Nazareth uh, is up in Galilee. And Capernaum, where he's kind of been hanging out a while. Uh, Jerusalem and Bethlehem, that's down in, in Judea. Uh, but if you ever see them saying going up to Jerusalem, that's elevation, not north-south. Uh, Jerusalem is a little higher in elevation. But, but Jesus is up in Galilee. Uh, north in Galilee, and and now between the feeding of the 5,000, uh, which uh, was in chapter 6, or the 5,000 men, it was up to 20,000 people, and when we come to this passage, it, it says in verse 1 after this, uh, some time has passed. In fact, uh, maybe six months or thereabouts, uh, when you think of the Passover, uh, which was near the, the feeding of the 5,000 men, and then here we're at the Feast of Booths, or we're going to the Feast of Booths. Uh, about six months has passed there, so some time has passed. But John uh, writes in a certain way. He, he drops some things out and, and writes, uh, puts things in a certain order because he wants us to catch uh, what he's trying to say. He's showing us who Jesus is, wants us to believe in Christ, and, and keeps pointing out, he is, and, and last week we talked about uh, God choosing uh, us and our faith in Christ, and we are saved by faith alone, and now we kind of come to the other side of, of this equation, and, and you'll notice this as, as we uh, go through uh, this morning, but John will uh, give us the other side of this in somewhat in striking fashion uh, with Jesus' teaching here. Uh, so we're going to pick up now with uh, Jesus, and, and once again, he's, he's up in Galilee, uh, but now we'll, we'll follow him. And by the way, as he goes from Galilee down to Judea, uh, this is the final time uh, that he's, he's in Galilee before the cross. Uh, after the resurrection, he'll have his disciples meet him back up in Galilee. Uh, but when he leaves Galilee this time, uh, he's, he's heading for Jerusalem, and uh, for the final time uh, before the cross. But, uh, but let's read John chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his, his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. 
you go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, he, or then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a, whole, a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from? But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. The word of the Lord, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for the teachings you give us, and for revealing Christ to us that we may have salvation. As we look into your word, we ask that you speak to our hearts and strengthen us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, I have uh, mentioned before um, one of the uh, joys uh, I remember growing up was the camping trips that my family would take. And we would go a few times during the summer, and, and there was a, a group of families, uh, a pretty solid core group, and, and we would go camping and, and always loved camping. And we'd go early in the summer, in the middle of summer, at the end of summer, and maybe a, a time or two uh, in there as, as well. And, and whether, this is Wisconsin, whether it was 100 degrees and, and the bright, burning sun, or uh, we, we had fun, and, and even if uh, a couple weeks later you'd go camping and the night temperatures were in the 30s, it seemed, uh, you know, we had fun with that, you know, Wisconsin, you get all four seasons in one summer, uh, and that's just how it is up there, but, um, but always a great time. We always look forward to it, and whenever I run into one of those people that we would go camping with, that we, we talk about it almost, that's the first thing uh, that we mention. And I, and I bring that up because when we look at the Feast of Booths, uh, where uh, Jesus is going to go, where the brothers are going to go, it's basically one long camping trip and a fun camping trip at that. Yeah. Uh, the Feast of Booths, you can read about it in Exodus 23. Uh, Leviticus 23 probably has the best description of it, also Deuteronomy 16, but but it's this feast, and it's also called the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Ingathering, or the Feast of Shelters. Uh, it was in the autumn, after the first crops had been harvested. It, it lasted seven days, uh, technically eight days. There was a, a day of rest at the end of it. Uh, but seven days where you'd live in tents. And it was the most popular and joyous of all the festivals that the Jewish people had. They loved the Feast of Booths, a camping trip, and, and you would go to Jerusalem and, and live in tents for seven days. Uh, and if the people that actually lived in Jerusalem, they had flat roofs, they would go up on their roof and, and pitch a tent. They wouldn't even sleep in their own bed, and, and they would uh, celebrate up there, sleeping in tents uh, just above their house, and, and uh, they looked forward to it. And so... When we see the brothers uh, talking with Jesus about going to the, to the Feast of Booths, uh, they're really anticipating uh, this festival that they had and this feast. And it was uh, a lot of fun. Now, Jesus, as we see in verse 1, he understands that if he goes to Judea, um, there's people there that want to kill him. Uh, that was one of the reasons he left. They wanted to kill him. That goes back to chapter 5. And with the Feast of Booths coming up, his brothers uh, say to Jesus, come on, let's, let's go to Judea, let's go to Jerusalem. Now, uh, what's striking in verse 5 is how uh, John writes that his brothers don't believe in Jesus. And, and I like how John says it. He said, for not even his brothers Of all the people that should understand Jesus a little bit and believe in him, you'd think it would be his brothers. They've grown up with Jesus, and, and Mary uh, has understood uh, that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, from before he was born, Mary understood who Jesus was, and I'm sure she told her sons and daughters uh, who Jesus was, and it's not like they're uh, young children. Uh, Jesus is in his 30s at this point, and 
So we'd imagine all of his brothers are at least in their 20s. There might even be one or two that are pushing 30 themselves. And, and so they're old enough to understand. But not even they believe in Jesus. And, and so what is it with their unbelief? Why don't, what is it that they don't believe? They, they know he can do things and perform miracles. They were probably at the, the wedding where Jesus turned the water into wine back in chapter 2. They, they probably got a glimpse of that, perhaps, and they've heard of other things Jesus has been doing along the way and, and feeding 5,000, and they were up in that area at the time. They, they know he can do miracles, but they're still kind of stuck in this idea of forcing him to be uh, what they want him to be. As, as the crowd, after he fed the, the 5,000 men and, and whoever else was there, how they wanted to force him to become king. They, they wanted Jesus to be the kind of king they wanted. And the brothers are still kind of stuck in that. But they tell Jesus, okay, here, if you go back to Jerusalem, you go to Judea with us, that's where you can make it big, Jesus. That's, that's the religious uh, center for the Jewish people and even the political center, although Rome kind of controlled things as far as the Jews uh, were concerned. That was their political center as well, uh, as well. So Jesus, go to Jerusalem. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. So let's go there and do some miracles and people will be uh, amazed. Because, you know, some of your disciples are walking away. Uh, we saw that in, in chapter 6, uh, verse uh, 66. Many of his disciples turned back and, and no longer followed him. So Jesus, let's go to Jerusalem. We're going to have a whole bunch of people there. Everyone's going to be in a good mood. You pop off a couple miracles, we'll get them all back. Perfect plan, isn't it? And what they're really saying, and we can see this in Jesus' response, what they're really saying is, it would be great for us if you go to Jerusalem and do these things. We will look pretty good, Jesus, if you will do these things, because we're your brothers, you know, and we'll look, we'll look like we're stunts. So go, do these things. And, and we catch that in, in Jesus' response as he responds to them. He understands they have their own agenda. They don't really believe in him as the Messiah. And so Jesus responds in, in verses 6 through 8, basically, and he tells them, look, my time hasn't come. Yours is already here. In fact, the world already likes you. Don't worry about that. The world likes you. It doesn't hate you like it hates me. But my time hasn't come because I'm waiting on father and Jesus has been very clear about this I do the will of my father and I do what my father says when he says and my time isn't here not yet not right now he knows the danger of going he knows he'll probably get be killed once he gets to Jerusalem and as I mentioned uh, this is the last time that he leaves Galilee until after the resurrection the, the brothers, they're, they're seeking human praise, if you will. Jesus, make us look good. And, and Jesus says, you're already liked by the world, but here's what the world needs to know. They need to know that their deeds are evil. 
They need to know that they need a Savior. And they don't want to hear that. And they're going to turn on me because they don't want to hear that. But don't worry, you go. Your time is here. My time, not, not quite yet. And so uh, they go, and Jesus stays in Galilee, at least for a little bit. And, of course, uh, we see in verses uh, 10 through 13, um, the talk is about Jesus, as expected. Uh, people were looking for him and talking about him. And uh, notice that the opinion is, is split there. Some are saying, yeah, he's a good man. Uh, he healed some guy who was an invalid 38 years, and Jesus healed him, and, and he's done other things. He's, he's a good man. And yet others are saying, no, he's leading people astray. He had a guy pick up his mat and walk on the Sabbath. Can you believe that? He's leading people astray. And so this the opinion is split about Jesus. And I, I especially like in verse 13 that, that uh, no one spoke openly of him. Uh, Jesus is not the subject of polite conversation, uh, much like today. Jesus is not the subject of polite conversation. You've kind of got to take one side or the other when it comes to Jesus. And they knew that then, and so they don't want to speak too loudly for fear of who might overhear their uh, particular opinion. And so then we, we have to go with this assumption then that the Father, after a couple days, uh, told Jesus, it is time, go. And, and some people get tripped, on this, tripped up on this idea that Jesus told his brothers that he wasn't going to go and that he ends up going. Uh, but Jesus doesn't say, I'm not ever going to go to Judea. He just said, I'm going to go when the Father tells me. It's basically what he was saying. And the Father tells him, now go. And so it seems like after a couple days or a few days, he, he does go because he shows up, uh, as we see in verse 14, uh, he shows up about the middle of the feast. And he's in the temple. And in verses uh, 14 and, and 15, he's, He's there, and, and notice that he's teaching. He's not doing miracles, probably much to the chagrin of his brothers who are standing there saying, Come on, Jesus, here's our time, do it, do something, and he's teaching. And the Jewish uh, leaders, when it says the Jews there, that's most likely uh, highlighting the Jewish religious leaders, although others were there as well, uh, but they're marveling. How does he seem to know so much? And he's never gone to rabbi school. He's never been taught by the right people, and yet he seems to know so much, and, and they're really asking the wrong question. They're asking, how does he know so much? He speaks with this authority, and his teaching is so good. And they should be asking, well, what's the meaning of his teaching, and is it true, rather than asking, well, how does he know this? The, the, it's the wrong question uh, that they keep asking, and and then in, in verse uh, 16, Jesus uh, responds uh, to, to what they're saying. And, and Jesus begins by saying, my teaching is not mine, which to the Jewish religious leaders would have meant something. Because when a good rabbi went to rabbi school, one of the things he learned to do is to quote other rabbis, those who had been rabbis earlier. And, and so... Uh, it showed not only were they not being rogue or, or arrogant and coming up with their own teaching, uh, but also uh, these previous rabbis that they would quote was basically their source of authority. 
Okay, you know I have authority because I'm quoting these other rabbis. And, and uh, Jesus starts out by saying, well, my teaching isn't my own either. My teaching is not my own, but notice his authority. If anyone's will is to do God's will in verse 17, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking on God's, God the Father's authority here. And verse 17 is, is kind of the hinge here. that kind of holds everything together. And we're actually going to circle around and come back to verse 17. But I want to continue with the story before we come back to this. And Jesus is very clear. He's not seeking his own glory, but the glory of, of the Father. And in verse 19, then he's, he brings up Moses again. He said, has not Moses given you the law, and yet none of you keeps the law? And this is what he was saying earlier. He's going to point out that the world is evil, and this is why they wanted to kill him in the first place. But he, he said, you don't even keep Moses' law. Why are you trying to kill me? That's part of Moses' law. You shall not kill. You shall not murder. You tried to kill me. You don't even keep Moses' law. Well, uh, of course, uh, no one wanted to hear that. In fact, the uh, response to that seems to be uh, quite harsh. The crowd answered, and, and now we're the whole crowd, it seems like. They have, you have a demon. You have a demon, Jesus. Who is seeking to kill you? Now, there are some in the crowd, I think John uses that word intentionally uh, to show that there's many more there. There are some in the crowd who wouldn't have known what the Jewish leader's intent was, that they really did want to kill him. And so they're acting a little bit out of uh, ignorance, if you will. They just don't know that, yeah, that was the plan at one point, that they wanted to kill Jesus. And they're like, who would, who would kill Jesus? Of course not. And I'm sure the religious leaders played into that then. Kill you? No, we never wanted to kill you. And they probably played on, on the other people and, and tried to uh, make Jesus seem like he's uh, insane or, or paranoid. You have a demon. Kill you? Come on, Jesus. You're overreacting here. Uh, but Jesus, of course, always one step ahead of uh, the, his opponents and the religious leaders there. He mentions... Uh, when they did want to kill him. I did one work. And you marvel at it. He's pointing them back to the events of uh, chapter 5, the healing at the pool of the man who was an invalid for 38 years. And, and uh, very clearly uh, in chapter 5, verse 18, it says that's why they wanted to kill him, because he healed on the Sabbath and he was making himself out to be God. And Jesus reminds them of that. I did that one event, Remember? Remember how you responded to that? And then he goes into this teaching about Moses again and circumcision. And notice that as he does this, he's not saying that, it was, that it's wrong to circumcise on the Sabbath. That's not what he's saying at all here. He said, no, you have this law about the Sabbath. And, and you have this law about circumcision, and John adds, that actually came from Abraham, that came before Moses, but it got formalized uh, with Moses. Uh, and so you have these two laws, and you have to have somewhat of a hierarchy. 
You know, you have the Sabbath, you have circumcision, you're supposed to circumcise on the eighth day. You have to pick which one is going to take precedence over the other. And you circumcise on the Sabbath, and that's fine. That, that's, he's not arguing with that hierarchy. But the Jew's uh, perception of circumcision is that when a, a baby, an eight-day-old uh, son, was circumcised, he was perfected, if you will. That was perfecting that, that baby, making him a child of, of God. And so Jesus said, you, you perfect on the Sabbath through circumcision. I perfected a whole man's body. What's the difference? What's the difference here? Judge rightly. You're giving yourself a break on this one, but you're not giving me a break on this one. So are what, what we're doing, is this right or wrong? And Jesus is not saying it's wrong. He's saying, you, you do this on the Sabbath, and so do I. So judge rightly. Well, after Jesus sparks their memory a little bit in verse uh, 25, um, some of the people say, oh, yeah, that's right. We did want to kill him, didn't we? We can't really deny this anymore. We were right there. And yeah, that's right. The Jewish leaders, they did want to kill him. And so now the question changes. Okay, here he is. We wanted to kill him, and, and or the authorities did, and how come no one's doing anything? Can someone do something here? He's standing right here, speaking openly. And they're not saying anything to him. And by the way, when Jesus is arrested in the garden before his crucifixion, this is one of the things he'll bring up. He said, you're coming out to me with guards and weapons? And I was standing right in your temple teaching, standing there openly. Why didn't you just take me then? And that's kind of what these people are saying. Here he is. You wanted to kill him? Say something to him now. Do something about this right now. And then they start questioning their heads. They'll say, well, maybe, maybe our leaders have figured out this really is the Christ. Maybe this really is the Messiah standing here. Maybe they now know that, and that's why they're not going to say anything. But then they start asking more questions. They say, but wait a minute. We know where he comes from, so he can't be the Messiah, right? And they grab this out of the Old Testament. One of the places is in Malachi, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, where it reads, The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And there's that and, and a couple other passages like that in the Old Testament where they, they had this idea that when the Messiah comes, he's just going to appear out of thin air almost. He's just going to appear. They're not going to know where he came from. And so because they know where Jesus came, came from, well, he can't really be the Messiah. They, they were misreading a little bit of the Old Testament there. And, and so they start asking that question. Well, when he appears, no one will really know where he comes from, but we, we know where Jesus comes from. And, and in verse 28, Jesus uh, asks the question. Uh, notice this is a question. You know me? And you know where I come from? This is Jesus' way of saying, Really? You really think you know where I come from? You got this wrong. I, I, I come from the, the one who, who sent me, and you don't even know him. And, and so the people now, they're all confused, and some want him arrested again. You see that in verse uh, 31? 
And, and as they uh, continue on then, the, the Pharisees, they're listening to the crowd uh, muttering uh, about things that are, are going on. And, and once again, opinion is, is split on Jesus. Some want him arrested. Uh, and others are saying, look, when the Christ really does come, when he really does appear in verse 31, is, is he going to do any more than this guy's doing? Because this is amazing. His teaching and the things that he's done. Uh, so we have, again, this, this split opinion on, on Christ. And, and so the Pharisees, well, they want him arrested again. And, and Jesus says, I'll be with you a little while longer than, than I'm going to him who sent me. And, and you'll seek me and not find me. And these Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, they're, they're confused. What does he mean by we're going to seek and not find? Is he going to go to the dispersion among the Greeks? And that's where some of the Jews uh, went, went to, the, to the Greeks. And, and is that where he's going to go? Because, yeah, we're not going to follow him if he goes there. Is that what he means? And what does he mean? You'll seek me, not find me. And, and where I am, you cannot come. And, and there's so many questions. And they're not figuring it out. Jesus is teaching them and telling them. And, and they're just not figuring it out. Much like, if I can go back to the brothers from the beginning of the passage, the brothers, they, they could see the miracles that Jesus was doing, and they didn't believe in Jesus either. They couldn't figure him out either. And they want these miracles, the brothers wanted uh, these miracles for uh, human praise, if you will. Jesus, do something. Make us look good. And here these Jews, especially the Jewish leaders, uh, they're threatened by the miracles that Jesus is doing, by the signs that he's doing, by the teaching that he's giving them. What they really want is for Jesus to endorse them. And Jesus isn't doing that. And they're not understanding him. And everything's a question. You just notice uh, as that passage goes on, there's just more and more questions. And here's... Here's what both groups are missing, both the brothers and then these uh, Jewish people in Jerusalem. And I said we'd circle back around to verse 17. Here's what they're missing. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. And just think about that verse for a minute, what Jesus is really saying. If you do God's will, if you're seeking to do God's will, you will know the truth. Wanting to know God's will and doing God's will is the foundation of knowing who God is. I mentioned our salvation is in Christ alone, our faith in Christ alone. But this is, as I've said Kind of the other side of that now. Doing God's will. We, uh, the world in general, and, and sometimes even uh, us personally, we would like uh, to sit down and, and approach God in, in this way. All right, God, sit down, tell me everything about yourself, and we'll see how we can work together. But that's not our relationship with God. Our relationship with God is to do His will complete submission of our wills to what he wants, just as Jesus did. 
I will do what the Father wants when he wants me to do it. It's about his will. Not about our will. It's about us submitting our total wills to what God did. Because knowing God on an intellectual basis is actually a moral and, and a spiritual task, doing God's will. And when we think of, of the world, and, and I'll just keep boiling this down a little bit, when we think of the world, or we think of, of our nation, or to come down a little bit, we think of the church, the church universal, the church around the world, and, and the local church, your local church, or, or think of yourself as an individual. And sometimes in, in these circum, uh, certain circumstances, we'll, we'll look around and, and we'll say, uh, why am I not seeing God? Where is God in all of this? And the question should probably be, am I doing God's will? Am I seeking to do God's will? Because if that's not what I'm doing, then I'll probably never see God. Because Jesus here is saying, doing God's will means you're going to figure out who God is. He'll reveal himself. And so God has given us his word. His word for moral living, living as God wills us to live. His word about loving God with our whole heart, loving our neighbors as ourselves, forgiving our neighbors over and over and over and over again, even when we don't want to. About caring for the widows and the orphans and the foreigners and the, and, and, and the, the oppressed. About going and making disciples. And we can't approach these things that God has told us to do with an attitude of, okay, God, tell me a little bit more about yourself and then, I'll see where I can fit some of these things in. But to say, God, show me your will and how I can do your will. Help me submit completely to what you want that I may know you better. See, our faith in God is very mysterious. It works against what we would like to think. It works against how we live in this world. And also, it's another example of our faith in God is puts us pretty much out of control of ourselves because we're seeking God's will. And it gives, we have to surrender our control, surrender our wills to God. So we can know who he is. This is one of the things that Paul picks up on in Colossians. And, and uh, I want to end on this note. Paul is writing to the Colossians in chapter 1. And starting at verse 9, uh, Paul writes this. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And here's the prayer. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And did you see where Paul went there? He started with doing God's will and ends with the increasing in the knowledge of God. Because Paul understands this as well. 
And that's his prayer for the Corinthian people. And that's my prayer for all of us. That we know and do God's will. Because that's how we grow deeper into the knowledge of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you do reveal yourself. We do thank you that you work in this wonderful and mysterious way. That, that doing your will is how we know you better. And so our prayer is that very same prayer that Paul prayed for the Colossians. That we may be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That we may walk in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of you. You are the source of all truth, of all wisdom, and all knowledge. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And our benediction then comes from the book of Hebrews.